Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. The Futures and Foresight community comprises a remarkable and diverse group of individuals who span academic, commercial and social interests. At FuturePod, we seek to honour and learn from the wisdom of those who have established and developed our field, to connect and support the practice of those who work in this space and, most importantly, to give pathways and inspiration to those who wish to join us in creating humane and better futures for ourselves and those who come after us. Tanya Schindler is a passionate futurist who has global experience and strategic foresight. She has double masters in the MBA and the Master of Foresight from Swinburne. And she also had a Bachelor in Engineering in Industrial Engineering with a major in Electrical Engineering. In total, she has over 10 years professional experience in the areas of product management, strategy and foresight. The focus in the futures field lies in highlighting the advantage of futures thinking in areas of futures mindset, strategy, innovation and transformation, allowing her clients to identify and recognise upcoming challenges and future developments. Tanya not only prepares organisations for the future, but also enables them to shape it proactively. Tanya, welcome to FuturePod. Thank you, Peter. First question we start people with, Tanya, is for you to tell your story of how you, how you became part of the futures community. Yeah, we'd love to. Um, as you said, I started um, as an engineer, actually, uh, being in the electrical engineering field, and my first job was a product manager for LED lighting and luminaires. Um, so I had some creativity in there, without, which I missed in, in my just engineering life. Um, and, I, and I already loved um, the accessibility. Um, but after that job, I decided to move into strategy to see a better overview um, of what's happening um, in general in the company. And the task I got was, well, we are a lighting company and we're doing LED, so what's the next thing that happens? So you, you come across trends and uh, you do your research and then you end up looking, oh, there's foresight, what is this? looks super interesting. And I interviewed people within the company who already dealt with trends and did a little bit of foresight, and especially um, in Germany as well, doing scenarios. And so I started in this field. So I did some trend research, I looked up methods, I got introduction to um, scenarios. Um, I also had a project then running on um, autonomous driving and the effects of the lighting business in 2030. So for over a year there, um, was it was a part-time project, um, we, we looked into the future and, um, and explored what happened if lighting might be not so important anymore in cars. Yeah, and especially this mixture of uh, analyzing technologies and also looking into uh, creativity in what might happen, what are the different shapes of the future that emerge, that I found super, super interesting. So I did foresight in corporate field for like a year and then I got some restructuring, some new projects came up. I'm like, I'm kind of triggered with this, so how can I learn more about it? And I did my research and uh, there are a few places in the world you can do it. And what I loved about Swinburne was um, I could do my MBA and the foresight field and it was in an English speaking country. 
which I loved uh, just to, to explore different um, point of views as well, not so um, yeah, just European or especially German. Um. And then I made uh, yeah, all my way to Australia, to the other side of the world, where then I met you. Um, did two years in the MBA and the and the foresight and it that totally changed uh, my mindset a lot. Going away from not just technology focused and um, what's the next disruption coming up into the, the future is a lot about social change as well and um, how we develop and how we can also actively shape and create futures. So that's my story how I came to foresight. Yeah. So when you got back. So, and you came back to Germany after that, um, and then so, so what did you do then after having spent your time in Swinburne? So I started working for um, a small startup um, where I was dealing with uh, Foresight software actually. Because Germany is still very technology and tool driven, the digitalization is hitting and everyone's looking for, okay, how can we become more advanced with technology? So they're also looking for tools to, to look and to explore the future. So for two years, I then helped to bring foresight methods um, into um, a tool where people can work with trends, collaborate actively in collecting trends, evaluating trends, doing surveys and delphis around it. Did you find challenges coming back to Germany and starting to use some of the new foresight ideas that you'd learned at Swinburne? The, the most challenge I feel when talking about futures with people in general is they want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. So what is the prediction? And when you then come up with, um, you, we're doing this with uh, software support, they're saying, okay, where's the button I can push and I get all the futures laid out. So that's the most thing I, I struggled um, with to like, come up. No, it's not too about the prediction, it's the exploring, it's the stretching of your mind um, and your brain and yeah, ex explore different futures. Then I, that's also why I decided to to become a freelancer then last September, to go away to the, from the analyzing part of collecting trends and, and the software back to, to the roots I discovered in, in Australia where we're, what's actually the mindset you need, what's the, the way you need to think about futures and what's the futures in, in general. So the most talks I'm doing in conferences are now uh, about a futures mindset or unlock your futures mindset and opening up um, the view that the, that the future is not about technology, that it's about thinking in diverse and multiple futures and, and stretching your thinking so you can explore what, what might happen. Yeah. And moving to a sole practitioner, has that, has that been exciting? It is. I love working with people and uh, what I would have loved more, most for the last half year is that I did um, many workshops with diverse people and to see how they um, interact and work with me and get challenged in their point of views, which is not always easy because uh, people are afraid of the uncertainty, uh, see the complexity, see that the world is changing so fast, how should they cope with it. And I explained to them, well, to see it, it's it's not the black box you need to be afraid of if, if you just leave it the black box. You need to find the different pathways, um, explore what might happen, and then it's easier to deal with uncertainty and to deal with complexity because yeah. you have some variation in your thinking. When you work in an organisation, you get you get a you get a long time to work with people. The hard thing of being a practitioner, as you know, a sole practitioner, is you have such short engagements with people. It can only be you're only with a person on one or two occasions and you've got to talk about futures mindset, but you're not going to be there to, to see them do it or support them in their doing it. And I wonder how you feel about that process. Yeah, 
So, but that's in general what I what I want to evolve to, and and also switch from consulting to coaching, because um, I'm saying it's not about me telling you how to right. do foresight. It's how you learn and and understand foresight, so you can put it back into your organizations. But it's struggling at the beginning, especially I find the hardest part about futures is, especially for me, if I'm not in with within with people in the room, if I just send them a presentation and, for example, saying that's futures. Most people can't grasp what it is. Yeah. Uh, when you're sitting down with them and you explore uh, and explain the different point of views, what's the difference between uh, the prediction compared to exploring futures, it sometimes it makes click with the people yeah. and you, you can see it. And that, that's super exciting. Yeah. Well, I just, again, I'm just, I'm hearing in you that you've, that you've moved in a fairly short period of time from being a person who studied trends to a person who's now talking about coaching people. Yes. Yes, it's true. Because... Uh, I was always the person being engineer trying to find the answers, right? So even in my studies, I was like, so why do I need it? What's the point? Where's the where's the answer? And I learned for myself it's so much more important to ask the right questions and not finding the answers. So now I'm I changed from a person looking for the answers to more challenging people um, in their way of thinking and and asking right questions to to broaden up um, the way they they think about future. Yeah. And you also allow them to change at their pace rather than you imposing the change on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Next question, which, which I, I like to encourage the, the guests to do, is to talk about other methods or frameworks that they found that they use, that they really do get a good outcome working with people. So do you want to talk about a couple of methods or approaches that have been really useful for you? Yes, certainly. Especially I want to start with where I came from to one, what I'm using now mostly. So as I said before, I started creating scenarios uh, in Germany, which is a, um, a high field there, an important field um, to do. And it's taken really seriously. Being in an engineering um, country as well, focusing uh, on facts and data, the scenarios creating, created in Germany are very trying to be fact-driven. Uh, so that means you have a very strict process you, you do. So it's from collecting the trends, really find broad people to evaluate them. You do cross-impact analysis. You do projections and then you have different methods and, and mostly you would even calculate the scenarios. So the whole process can take six to eight to 12 months in, in doing so. Advantage of it, you have a, a strict process people can follow through and understand where you're coming from. On the other hand, it, it's what I find quite time consuming as well and sometimes annoying when you have Excel sheets or presentations of cross-impact analysis, they take you three, four days to fill out yeah. because it's just so much so to cope. So coming from this field and being very analytic and in, in foresight, I came back from Australia with so many more methods I never heard about before and I never heard in, in the German futures field. Um, so nowadays I start um, most likely with a futures triangle, for example. To first open up and saying and understanding that the future is not all about the futures, it has a relationship to the present and the past, and we need to understand this first. Then I do a lot of mindset talks. I understand. Uh, I explain that 
there's actually no future as a running gag for a futurist <laughs> saying we only have futures, there are multiple futures because they haven't been written yet and we can actually be proactive about it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a serious fact as well. In Germany, that's the culture um, in business, we need to pre be, be prepared. So it's this culture of we need to be prepared of the disruption and the trends that are coming. So therefore we have scenarios that are fixed in a certain way and we adapt to the different scenarios. Yeah. Coming from Australia or the, the a new mindset of, of foresight or broader foresight, I see, yes, you can prepare and you need to prepare um, and think about how you can prepare. But the next step would be, how can you actually shape something? Because the trends are something that you see in the present and are, are quite relevant in the present, but that doesn't mean that they need to be the future. And I think that so powerful to get this into people and saying the future is not reactive because that can actually slow you down and calm you down. That saying, yes, there are some options we're heading at the moment, but what if we can influence that? What would be a, a future um, that would be beneficial for your company and then also for the environment and humanity? And I think that's something I've learned um, in this foresight field with, with this global futurists, that it's never just thinking within one industry, within one business, within one person as a future is to try to think um, about the world and, and what's happening and how you can shape that. And bringing that back to businesses um, and giving that also a purpose and an impact to do, I feel really powerful for them to tell their story new yeah. and why they're doing so. Yeah. So after using futures triangles a lot, um, then I also, because uh, I had the, the chance to work with Sohail in Australia as well, uh, go use a lot of uh, CLAs uh, because people understand that they need to change but they don't know how to change and the CLA really shows them a way where where the problem is rooted why they can't change at the moment and why they have to go back maybe three steps um, to reorganize even their saying or the way they do business um, so they can actually transform into something new. Also, still, I work with scenarios, um, but instead of developing them, I a lot of times use scenarios that are existing and more challenging, challenge them or let people challenge the scenarios, thinking in those worlds. So I had just had a workshop where we created personas of the future based on certain scenarios I laid out to them. So people still think in those worlds, world, but we don't take too much time in creating them and spending more time and, and using it as a, as a talking uh, and discussing yeah. discussion. The things I'm hearing <clears throat> from you are, as now part of your approach, is to get people to start to tell their stories about the future, create the future they want. It's exactly because at the end, every person working in an organisation or every organisation is run by people working there. So if the business doesn't have or creates an impact, people start feeling lost about it. Um, so other talks I've been doing were challenging this digital transformation and digital mindset I hear a lot of times and what if there's a futures mindset and that's maybe the solution because at the end what you need to do is this longest thinking and thinking about your impact that you have on your, on your business but also for your decisions that you make. I wonder, can I ask you Tanya, given where you came from and then what you encountered, you know, coming to Australia and learning the foresight the way we do it, because you're the hybrid, you're the hybrid German-Australian, <laughs> what were the strengths of the German approach? That yeah, I think what 
what was is really good about it is that it's a structured approach. So that means you clearly see where you're coming from, where you're heading. And since we're still living in a fact-driven world, um, especially with larger corporations, the managers to make the final decisions need some kind of fact to go get it through within. Yeah, they need a basis rather than just a workshop. What they do quite cleverly, or quite in a clever way in Germany, is that they build this future state on a process where real facts are getting evolved and evaluated. Um, so at the end you can say, okay, it's a future data-driven approach. So although we can't predict the data was there, we evaluated what we had so far and we structured it so we can make certain decisions based on, on assumptions that we did. And I also see a large future in data-driven foresight, but on a way to support yes. what what else is there. Yeah, so you can't just rely on all the data. Well, no, because the data is the past. The data is the past. Uh, but of course, if we can use AI and certain algorithm to get a broader view or to get some other data and crush it to build on that, yeah. that's fine. I just feel we can't stop that and we shouldn't think in one direction. So I would love to see um, having both, and that's maybe even mixing the approach from Australia um, in Germany, saying, okay, of course, when you start and doing your basis research, you can use a lot of technology and AI and data and, and new trends to, to get started, but you shouldn't stop there. You should then open up um, and, and do approaches. Another thing too you said, which is I, I think is interesting, um, you used a term which is actually quite common in business, which is called the digital transformation. And yet I think you're looking at the digital transformation, you're putting it, it's more a change in thinking rather than actually a change in technology. Exactly. I try to get them to a point that if you look into the digitalization that's happening, you see there's a lot of new tools, there's technology coming, people are driven by that. But the issue is the digital transformation is not only buying new tools or getting into digital processes or workflows because it's a change of mindset. It's a different way how people work together. It's a different way approaching your clients, your new customers, and even um, building up uh, your company. So instead of having a digital transformation, I always tell them it's more it's a digital business uh, transformation and it, and it starts with a cultural transformation. Yeah. Because you can apply, you can hire a digital chief officer, you can get new roles into it, but if your thinking hasn't changed from the processes you've running for 100 years, you can't keep up with the change in the pace. Yeah. So um, that's, that's a totally new, new way of thinking. And Foresight really, really offers a lot of those skills that are needed to go into this agile thinking. Mm. So that's why um, I always say a lot more people need to think and act like a futurist because nothing to do looking to a crystal ball or imagine anything. It's the way of thinking long term about thinking what is the impact that you do and make you for your decisions and why at the end are we doing this at all? So yeah. what's the what's the purpose coming back to your organization? And if you have the purpose, um, then your whole organization will also change because it runs then more by the employees. It's more employee-centric when people know why they're coming to work and what's their piece of the cake they bring into it. And being foresight, being a, a, a storytelling and a narrative, you can create yeah, new business stories people can follow through and, and move forward.
three is the one talk about the future as you see it emerging. And the way I phrase it, Tanya, is with all the emerging futures around us, there are certain futures that they get our attention, they energise our thinking. We might like them, but we find our thoughts going to them. So, you know, looking at a time frame, 30 years, um, certainly your lifetime, certainly your working <laughs> lifetime, you can certainly go longer. But how do you sense make the emerging futures? Yes, I always say I don't predict the future, although it's funny, I'm now trying to implement my own running gag and, and saying, running gag and saying, uh, hello, I'm a futurist, and no, I don't have a crystal ball, but then probably even showing up with a crystal ball, but just to, to get into this, this uh, tension. After saying I don't do prediction, there's actually one thing um, of, of uh, emerging future um, that I see is changing uh, and that I truly believe in, and that's the way we will work. And that has to do with the things we discussed earlier with the employee-centric organizations and that we build a lot of corporations now that are so big and so specialized that it's hard for people to know what their part within the organization is. So if I would do or think about an emerging future that we see, I see a lot of uh, project-based work and also smaller network organizations um, running on and working together. Uh, because you need certain specialists, but also diverse people, as we say in foresight, to, to run a successful project. And sometimes when you're within an organization too long, you get um, yeah, blindfolded and you have a specific too narrow point of view. So by bringing in new people from outside, uh, that's freshening up. That was, I would say, where we're heading towards to is having less of the large corporations and smaller networks uh, organizations um, towards it so that people get more and more empowered in their daily work again so they can make decisions easier every time on a workshop with a medium size with larger corporations and we do the futures triangle the pain of the past are the processes the bureaucracy are the silos thinking um, so everyone wants to get rid of it and therefore uh, we need to get smaller and more agile again and therefore the structures have to be broken down mm. also I think that once you have those smaller organizations and uh, the purpose for them, it's easier to to navigate them in a in a agile and complex world because they can uh, change fast, but they can also influence fast. I agree with the future of work, and the thing that comes up to me when I hear that is that are people, if that is the future of work, but are people equipped for that future? Are they trained for it? Are they even? Do they even want to do it? Yes, I see what um, what you mean. It's about what are the skills that we need, but also what are the routines that we prefer. Um, and I think it needs to be a, a mix of mixture of both. For this reality, what we need to improve is actually getting or getting back our our creativity um, in in human being, because people are so afraid that actually. AI and robots uh, will take over the work and all those uh, routine works will disappear but also some of the high specified works. But I always see it as an opportunity not as a threat. If we have some machines that can actually take over certain roles or certain jobs that are really draining and are not giving much pleasure to, to people working there, 
it would be great to, to have that and to have actually more freedom and more time to do something else. The issue is though people have unlearned to be creative or to looking for those opportunities to shape their own jobs or their, their own their own purposes because we've learned that we're given a task and to find a solution. Yeah. And we think we have to learn to find our own task or find the problem even first by, by asking the questions. But other technology that's approaching can, for me, can be really opportunity. We just don't, we just should not stop there and see the replacement. We need to think way bigger and, and, and finding our new role um, within the future. Yeah, I can certainly see that in a, I can see that in small to medium sized firms. It, the kind of thing that I'd be interested as to how it would emerge. There are still these large organisations that really produce fairly low-level work for people. You know, people in a in, in what you call a low-level service role. You know, sales or functions. And when you look at the scale of those jobs around us, you wonder how that is transformed into the thing you're talking about, because. In those situations, the people have got zero autonomy and they're told to do a job and that's their paycheck. Yes, we have to learn again to, to making decisions and then taking over responsibilities and also giving the freedom of letting people taking and making decisions in lower roles so far uh, because that's what's stopping a lot of time of the progresses or why some large corporations are so small because it takes 20 different signatures to make a decision. Yeah. And then yet no one wants to make the decision. So by, by breaking this down again and saying, okay, you have smaller responsibilities, you have um, smaller project-based focus, and you have a freedom to decide on those projects, and especially have the freedom to fail. Mm -hmm. Because a failure is nothing bad as long as you can communicate what went wrong so that you don't be repetitive to the same failure. And we need to go away from this perfection and, and just doing supporting the right projects and the project that failed, we just put under the table. Yeah. And don't talk about it. Yeah, there's a, there are a lot of submarine projects, we call it in, in Germany. <laughs> so they're, they're happening under the ground. If they're successful, they, they appear. By surface. Yeah, and if not, um, never, no one talk about no them. But the failure made in those submarine projects would be so useful for yeah. others to not make the same. And that's slowing down innovation. Yeah. Um, so therefore, we really need to create this, this cultural environment and being, being proud of our failures in some way to say, okay, that didn't work out. We know this direction into the future is wrong. Let's swap to the next one and keep on moving and not being pulled down too much by, by not doing, yeah. doing the right thing in the first place. Are you having some of these conversations with organisations and, and what kind of response, if you are, are you getting from the organisations? I do have them, as I see myself always as the person who can ask a question no one wants to ask and even if they're, they're uncomfortable. Welcome. Um, <laughs> a lot of times, of course, they, they you get the feedback, yeah, it's not possible, it's not how the world runs yet. And of course, in future, you learn, yeah, but what if? What if it would be different? And now we have all those shareholder-driven organizations with short-term thinking because managers are, of course, being, being weighted and being a feedback on their three years' performance and the dividends and the shareholders' uh, market. But what if we would put that to, to a stop or to a different direction saying, well, what would be the long-term goal for the organization for the purpose forward? And would that not be more driven for the people as well working there to keep up the motivation? 
So a lot of times I see this restructuring happening in the big organizations to make them slimmer and slimmer, and they think, yeah, we're doing this, we're getting smaller. But pushing away the people and leaving them, them in that big of uncertainty just puts down all their motivation. And yeah. you have more gossiping in the in the organizations rather than, than moving forward. So by giving them the long-term view and, and committing to that, at the end, your employees more motivated and probably come up with new ideas because they feel safe. Yeah. And it's about creating those, those safe environments and this long-term use while they're here. Yeah. And that would be the, the challenge um, to it, but that brings what we discuss in Foresight a lot, the whole discussion about what's what's capitalism, what's post-capitalism, what, what are we wanting mm-hmm. to... I mean, at the moment we see so many systems failing or at least being challenged worldwide that no one can deny that we're in a, in a certain time of change. And there is something happens, and um, the question is just where do we want to go? Yeah. Do we want to wait and see what's happening, yeah. or do we, do we want actually to create it and, and want to create it? Um, and therefore, we have to start thinking about okay, what what can be a new system afterwards, and how can we slowly transform into that? Yeah, good. Next question, Tanya, is the old classic of how do you talk and explain what you do to someone who doesn't know or understand what you do? Again, um, I say, (laughs) hello, I'm a futurist. (laughs) I love this word. I love it because uh, people are so fascinated by it. Um, The problem with it, you always get this uh, prediction of the crystal ball with it. But then I start and explaining, I don't have a crystal ball, I see it more, I create a landscape with you and I create a map to navigate through the landscape with you. Nice. So instead of having the, the crystal ball that shows you one future, we will look, look farther out and see those different destinations we could go and then we create those pathways really on a map to see where, where, how to reach them. And especially if you create it this way, um, it's easy to see, okay, there will be bumps on the road, there will be some detours you have to make, and maybe you even have to swap the pathway to to come to a a different direction. But if you have no idea where you want to go, where are you heading to? And that's the scary part. Um, So again, the next, next thing I use is this black box explaining, yes, I know everything is changing, five years you can't predict it, but you don't want to have this black box steering towards too. So let's remove this black box and think broadly. Um, the next question you then get though, yeah, well, what's most likely? So what's the scenario we should focus on? Um, what's happening? And I say it's not super important which scenario comes because all scenarios we will create are wrong. The point is, and um, I really like this, this idea, is having your brain on a rubber band and then stretching it. So it gets trained and gets used to uh, situations that are uncertain and unknown. Because in the end, then it doesn't matter which of the scenarios appear, because um, you already have thinking and thoughts about it and some plans how to navigate through this field, so that your brain says, yeah, it's not exactly this issue that came up, but it's this one. And the next step then, so that's the preparation for disruption and then getting prepared is, okay, what would be a future we would like to see? And it's hard because... People love those scenarios, everything goes down, and we are really good at disruption and um, <laughs> destruction and dystopia. 
but but realizing and shaping a future we would like for our companies, for the employees, but even our personal life, it's hard, and it's also hard uh, for for myself and doing this a personal space. But it's super important. Um, so you have really this empowerment of seeing yes. If I do those steps, and there were a lot of backcasting as a method as well, if you create a future, that's something it's really worth striving for, and we want this. How do we get there? And then you go backwards and see, wow, we're we're not too far away. We can actually make it by those steps. And that's another um, point, actually, is this time frame. So in most organizations, people will ask me to do, let's just scenario three to five years. And I say, yes, we do, but let's start 10 or 15 years out. And it's exactly the same um, with this this stretching your brain. Um, I tell them, if you do three to five years, you will tell me all the things that can't appear because of the processes that hinder you, the product development cycles, um, the people you need to hire or cry, so it it doesn't work. But 10 to 15 years, your brain can't can't grasp that much. So it's easier to your brain to accept some extreme futures um, than saying, oh, that's not possible at all. Yeah. Um, and finally, when you're doing this in workshops and then you let them talk about and backcasting it or create a, a customer journey or a product lifecycle journey for those 20 or 10 to 20 years ahead, you will see at the end they're already coming closer to the future, uh, to the present already. So at the end, you end up accepting this three to five years. But if you haven't went, if you wouldn't have gone yeah. that far out, you would have just like one year. Yeah. And there were no new disruptions, no new technologies, no social change, especially social change always gets undercut if you do three to five years. And just by, by doing this jump, you, you can do so. Yeah. And, and, and that's what most people then get. I say, okay, I, I see, I understand that I, I hinder myself um, mm-hmm. in my thinking. And also, yeah, the black box and what most powerful, the, the, the idea of the, the landscape and the navigation through, through a map. Fantastic, thank you. Okay, last question. Tell me about Futures Space. Yes, future space. So as I said before, I am a freelancer now for um, half a year almost, and I'm really loving and enjoying it, being open so they can have different projects, you work with different people, different clients, and I think it's also the advantage as a futurist to bring different um, inputs from, from diverse industries into, into projects. But then you also notice that it's quite hard doing or being a freelancer on yourself so therefore uh, I thought about hmm what as I said my one use what want to call a prediction is network organizations what if you had a network of freelancers that are not only futures or forward um, oriented also innovation design driven everything that has to do with transformation and, and futures and you put us together um, and we use methods that already exist, but we also shape and create um, new methods to it um, and have the space. So that was my original coming coming from um, being a bit uh, egoistic about it and saying, okay, how can I get my crowd? But then matching this with the industries, what I found really, really powerful. 
said that before, if we have those uh, futures of network organizations or project-based work, somehow those diverse thinkers need to get matched with industries and with businesses and to bring it together. And you can call it uh, a matchmaking um, organization. So getting the right people that are diverse um, experts, but also diverse experts, if you say, so diverse thinkers on the one hand, and the industries, businesses and organizations on the other hand will have those issues of transformation, not even knowing what their problem is, and find, okay, who's the one who can actually help you digging deeper, finding the problem, solving the problem. So I want to create this space uh, where organizations and freelancers can meet to solve future-driven problems. Um, or issues they occur because of transformation, because of the digital change um, and everything to do so. But then even further to do so is that I want to get in all those foresight people that have been out there for, for years working in the field and have this, this knowledge globally um, and, and to get them as, as mentors and a backbone. So to support a next generation of futurists by getting their experience, their methods out and get insights from what's in the businesses, from what's the next generation thinking um, and what is my method maybe developing towards too. And we have um, two ideas um, to do so and especially one will be that we have certain planets uh, we grasp people around. So we will have planets that um, deal with a smart home, with a smart city, future of work, also. the future of work, the future of mobility. And then we also invite people from the industry to become residents of the planet. Okay. So we're getting those experts that are in the industry dealing with the field and this topic so for years, being on the planet and then inviting other organizations in to to um, yeah, visit the planets and discover what is on each world happening. And now we're freelancers, then uh, we call them spacewalkers, because they will be there to challenge those planets um, on their point of views, to bring in new methods, to bring in insights across those planets, because as we said, disruption are coming from different industries, um, so therefore we're having this information flow in between. So it will be a cross-industry um, innovation and then foresight space driven by, by the, the people that are there um, and the people that meet. My challenge to you on that, and I think it's a great idea, but I, I know we've had this conversation before, is that what about the mindset that has to exist amongst the people who participate? Because if they're freelancers, you can't necessarily have a freelancer mindset if you're working in that way? Yes and no. So um, I'd say it's, it's bringing together both, both worlds um, in a good way. So what you want to be or why you are a freelancer is you want to have your own platform. You want to be well known for a specific field you're good at. On the other hand, what's really struggling is the, especially in Germany, the bureaucracy of being a freelancer, even the, the financing system, the taxes. But also the thing is once you get ill or you want to go on vacation, if you're out of the, uh, the job or you can't accept the job as a client, he goes to someone else. So by having this, this collaboration, you can say, hey, I noticed this person, um, this trustful person, he can come and run the project this time and next time he's sick away or needs more support, yeah. he will recommend me. But I agree, itself, 
the whole thing will be a, a trial and a test of how the future of work will look like. Mm. So my idea before when I said I think we're going to end up in a network organization is basically wanna, what we want to try out here to see and to, to prove and to find a way how this can work. Yeah. And it needs to evolve, and the first idea won't be needs to file, the end. Needs to file in order to succeed. So we need to see where, where are the issues, um, but how does it running, and how are the advantages overweighting and working together instead of being in the competition. And this is for me the spirit in general in Forsyth work, and it's hard because in the innovation field everyone seems to be closed and then trying to have their, yeah, their knowledge for themselves. Uh, but a challenge is to find out, let's imagine what else could be out there if we open up all a bit and then share this and find those places, those safe spaces, uh, where we're probably not working without a direct competition, but with people from um, same and different industry fields to go and evolve greater innovation, bigger innovation, just because there are more diverse mindsets involved. Good. All right, Tanya, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much for talking to the listeners of FuturePod. I wish you and Future Space all the best. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.